Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long in the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in this week. In segment three, Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. He's going to join me. We're going to discuss the economics of this weekend's NFL draft. If you want to learn about the NFL salary cap, how NFL contracts are structured, and why this year's rookie class is being scrutinized like no other, join me in segment three for my discussion with Charles Robinson, where we'll give you all of the answers. In segment four, SportsSense, Chris Rye, he's the managing director for Zambezi, Inc., and he'll join me. Zambezi is a creative agency partially owned by Lakers star Kobe Bryant and run by several former Wyden and Kennedy executives. The agency is responsible for overseeing all of Bryant's branding initiatives, and Bryant's rebirth in the marketing world is really an amazing story that we'll discuss in depth in segment four with Chris Rye. A couple of other notes visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Email your comments and questions to info at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined, as always, in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, last weekend I had the opportunity to go to AT&T Park in San Francisco. i got to tell you, of all the new ballparks, it is without a doubt my favorite ballpark. It had everything there. It had stuff for my daughter. Uh, The food was great. And I thought the customer service was as good as any sports venue I've ever been to. Oh, and it's beautiful, too. I mean, looking out over the bay there is absolutely fantastic. And you got a little bonus. You got to see Bonds hit one out, our favorite player, blast one out into McCovey Cove. You know what? I'll tell you this. I was about 20 feet away from him. He looks good. He looks as as fit and as healthy as I've seen him. And as non-steroid-like as you've ever seen him? Well, I was pretty close to him. I'm not going to go into that. But, you know, the other thing I saw was Barry Zito pitch a gem. It was a one-to-nothing game. The San Francisco Giants invested $126 million in Zito, and Zito looked pretty darn good. If he pitches like that, that investment's going to look pretty good for them. Well, we'll have to see, but Barry Bonds gets closer to the home run record, holding our breath. Yeah, he's getting closer and closer. At this rate, uh, June 8th against Oakland, that is the date that he will uh, break the record. We'll keep our eyes on that one for sure, but great time down at AT AT&T Park in San Francisco. Lots of headlines coming up. Some new developments with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and DEI and those negotiations. We'll fill you in on that. Coming up next in headlines, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stick around. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NFL draft taking place in New York City this weekend. Join me next segment when I break down the economics of the draft with Yahoo Sports' NFL expert Charles Robinson. Our next headline, the NBA playoffs are underway, and the TV ratings are pretty flat. TNT's numbers are higher than ESPN's numbers. ABC's numbers are mediocre. Nathan, the bottom line is the Lakers and the Suns and the Bulls and the Heat have the best ratings so far. No surprises there. No surprises at all. I am surprised that the ratings are flat, though. I mean, you really do have most of the NBA superstars in the playoffs that you'd want to be there. You'd think that more people would tune in. So we'll have to see how it plays out later and who, who advances. But I'm really surprised by this. Well, as flat as the ratings are, they're still a heck of a lot better than the NHL ratings with, you know, despite being in the second round of their series, uh, you know, we're looking at .7 ratings. It just is astounding that even on NBC, even on network TV, the NHL continues to get dismal ratings. Our next headline, NBA Commissioner David Stern will appoint a committee of team owners to study the proposal Las Vegas Mayor Oscar Goodman submitted outlining how his city would support an NBA team. You remember a few weeks ago, Nathan, when we had Commissioner Stern on, he said April 20th he was going to sit down with the owners at the Board of Governors meeting and talk about Las Vegas. Well, now this is the next step. These owners are getting together. They're forming a committee. Uh, They're going to look at this proposal. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. It will be. But, you know, after the interview with Stern, I'm still not convinced that a team is going to go to the Las Vegas. I don't know. What do you think is going to play out here? Well, I think the first thing they're going to look for is – Uh, Is there a suitable venue? No, there's not right now. So is there financing for a venue out there? Oscar Goodman said this week they're putting an RFP out for uh, a venue financing. So... They need that, and then it's gonna. the big battle is going to be, will gambling be wiped off the boards? Will Oscar Goodman give on that? Will David Stern give well, on that? that I, I think there's we'll too see. much pull from the casinos for, for gambling to just completely disappear. I mean, the, the casinos really do run that town. I agree. I guess to ask my prediction for the future, I'd say we could see an all-star game there again. I don't know if we're going to see a regular team in Las Vegas anytime soon. Maybe the next five years, but we'll see. Speaking of NBA ownership situations, the Seattle PI is reporting that Sonics owner Clay Bennett never actually purchased land in Renton, Washington. If you remember, Bennett's group was trying to get legislative support a few weeks ago and announced they had an agreement in principle for land. Then legislature came out last week and said, we're not going to put to vote $500 million worth of financing. So this is a big blow to the Sonics' chances. But, you know, as we've said before, I've been saying this for a year. These are Oklahoma City owners. They're all Oklahoma City owners. The Sonics got rid of their coach and their GM this week. I think there's a good likelihood that they're going to try and break the lease, which is going to be very expensive, by the way. It's going to be about $30 million to relocate the team, and then it's probably going to be another 20 to $30 million to break this lease so you're looking at $60 million if you want to move, but I think they're going to make every effort possible to move. And when they do move, Oklahoma City is obviously number one on their list, but Kansas City 
Anaheim, San Jose, St. Louis, those are other cities that are going to be interested in an NBA team. Yeah, but what makes this such a guaranteed thing for me is how successful Oklahoma City has been at hosting a team. I think that this is this is a no-brainer on their part financially. Now, because they're from Oklahoma City, because Oklahoma City has two years under their belt of hosting a team, I totally agree with you. I think they have a leg up on the competition. Our next headline, there's several reports circulating about Dale Earnhardt Jr. and the company his father founded, Dale Earnhardt Inc. The bottom line is that there's no deal done yet, and I talked to many of my sources in NASCAR this week, and they tell me there's a very good chance that Dale Jr. will be racing somewhere other than DEI in 2008. Interestingly enough, DEI's deal with Budweiser also expires at the end of the season. That deal is worth between $20 and $25 million. The dynamics of these negotiations, Nathan, are so interesting because on one side, you've got Dale Earnhardt Jr., and he's represented by his sister, Kelly. They're going against their stepmother, Teresa, on the other side of the table, and there's no love lost there, and Max Siegel. Max Siegel has made a nice bond with Dale Earnhardt Jr., but at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to, I think, is this. He's going to get 51%. They will offer him 51%. Is he going to have to pay for that 51%? Roush Fenway Racing. Fenway had to pay $50 million, $60 million by some reports for their 50% stake. If Teresa Earnhardt comes to Dale Jr. and says, I'll give you 51%, but you've got to plunk down $60 million, Dale Jr. is going to be down the road. Oh, absolutely. And she's got so much to lose. Not only did we just say she's going to lose Dale Earnhardt Jr., but Budweiser. I mean, that is a huge sponsor of that racing team. And I don't know how she's going to be able to survive without at least one of those, if not both. Well, listen, we talk all the time about free agents in the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL. In NASCAR, this is the biggest free agent that has ever hit the market. Dale Jr. is the most marketable driver on the NASCAR circuit and to boot He's bringing Budweiser, a 20 to $25 million a year sponsor, with him. That is a ton of money. Read my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com. I have a lot more thoughts on this. A sad note, Pulitzer Prize-winning author David Halberstan was killed on Monday in a car crash in the Bay Area at age 73. He was working on a, a book uh, called The Game about the Colts championship win against the Giants in 1958. I guess he was going to interview Y.A. Tittle. This is a guy who was really a news reporter. He wrote about sports in his spare time, and he did a better job writing about sports than many of the sports reporters. His two biggest books were The Best and the Brightest, which was really about the leaders who blundered in Vietnam. He told us things that a lot of the political leaders at that time wouldn't tell us. And then The Breaks of the Game, perhaps his best book, on pro basketball, it was about the 1979 Portland Trailblazers. Well, the, I think the best writers are the ones that can write everything and write it well so that each audience can read it. So it's a real sad story. Well, and this guy is a true journalist. I mean, he wasn't just a guy writing for entertainment. He was a true journalist. He will sorely be missed. Our next headline, the total prize money at this year's Wimbledon will make it the most lucrative tennis tournament ever. The total sum is going to jump about 8.7% to $22.6 million. Also, they're going to use Hawkeye for the first time. Nathan, you know a lot about Hawkeye. This is absolutely fantastic. My brother worked for Hawkeye for the last couple summers working at the events like the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open Series, and it's such a great technological thing for tennis. And to have it at Wimbledon, the most prestigious event In the world for tennis, I think it's fantastic. Well, and you remember a few months ago, Wimbledon announced that the prize money for women and men will be equal this year. So the women's pay is really going to jump up. Last headline of the week, quickly. 
Michael Jordan, no secret, he's getting a divorce. It could be the most costly divorce in entertainment history. Some people are saying it will top $150 million, according to Forbes magazine. Neil Diamond divorced in 1995. That cost him $150 million. Steven Spielberg cost his divorce was $100 million uh, back in 1989. But, hey, he's worth $3 billion now, so that's chump change to him. Coming up next... Charles Robinson, we're going to go inside the economics of the NFL draft. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com. What were the terms that got that big deal done? These guys know. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's a reporter for Yahoo Sports. He's their NFL reporter. You can read his work at yahoosports.com. Charles, thanks for joining me this week. No problem, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, Good time of year, exciting time of year. The NFL draft going on this weekend, and I wanted to look at it from a different perspective, kind of look at the economics behind the draft. First, let's talk about the salary cap for this year. Obviously, it's increased every year. What is the cap number going to be for this year? Uh, it's going to be $109 million, and uh, actually the projection for next year looks like it's going to be $116 million. So $7 million jumps the last two years. Pretty, pretty healthy jumps. A lot of that obviously has to do with the, the TV revenue, the new TV contracts coming through, which uh, you know everybody's happy about. Uh, you know, increases the coffers a little bit, and uh, everybody gets paid a little bit more. And we've seen teams recently, especially the Niners, go on spending sprees with this money. Do you think that GMs feel like they've got to spend this increased money, or will they sit on it till the right player comes along? Well, in a way, they do. I mean, that's the, one of the differences with the CBA now, the new CBA that was signed in. There's a salary cap floor, which is roughly a little over 84% the way the CBA is written a little over 84% of what the overall salary cap is. That's what that's the limit you have to get to. So you're looking at what 84% of 109 109 million. So a little you know up near 90 million dollars. So owners have to spend up you know spend to get to that level. Now does it mean they necessarily have to go out and splurge on free agents? No, it doesn't mean that. I mean you can go out pick the guys you want and then look internally at your own team and say hey. We don't want to go out and overspend on a bunch of you know, free agents to get to the salary cap floor. Let's re-sign some of our own guys internally, maybe give them some contract extensions, lock up the younger players we have. And we, you know, we've seen a couple of teams do that. Now, within the salary cap, there's a rookie cap. Can you explain how that works? Because that's going to come into effect this weekend, obviously. Sure, sure. It's, essentially, it's, it's almost like another little salary cap within the larger salary cap. And it's... It, to be honest with you, it's a very, very complicated uh, process of coming to, to what each individual team's cap number is. And just because you have a lot of picks doesn't necessarily mean your rookie pool, your little rookie cap, is going to be more than everyone else. Basically, the variables that go into this, it's going to be how many picks do you have, where are the picks. Obviously, you're going to get more money for having the first pick in the draft as opposed to having the 30, uh, 32nd pick in the first round. And, and ultimately, they wait until 
the draft is completely over. They sit down and they basically have a system, a point system, where they kind of rank where everyone ended up picking, how high, how many picks they had. They use all those variables in an equation to come up with what your pool is. So you could see some teams say, for example, say, say the, the Raiders only end up with five picks, but they're all picks that are very high um, in each round. And then, you know, the Falcons end up with, say, eight picks that all tend to be, you know, middle round or later round picks. The Raiders' rookie pool could actually be larger than the Falcons simply because the NFL takes into account you're picking higher, you're going to have to pay these guys higher salaries at those spots. Great stuff. Which teams have the most cap space for 2007? Well, actually, uh, heading into free agency, uh, the, the new cap numbers, I mean, it's, it's fluctuating right now, but the teams I think you'd look at right now that still have a lot of cap space uh, to play with, you know, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, St. Louis, Green Bay, Arizona, those teams all have, you're looking at in the neighborhood of, you know, 12 to 15 to $17 million to play with. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, Denver, Baltimore, you know, even Detroit and Indianapolis, less than probably 7 to $8 million of, of cap space left. Now, that really means nothing at this point. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of accounting to be done. You can still restructure a lot of deals. Uh, you can still cut, you know, players, obviously, which will happen. So plenty of time for that cap number to fluctuate. So even even a team like Baltimore, which really seemed like, you know, they're in, in salary cap straights, they can do enough with pushing numbers around in terms of contracts to, to sort of make sure they eke in under that cap before the year begins. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. You can read him at Yahoo Sports. Dot com. Charles, let's talk for our listeners who may be uh, unfamiliar about the structure of NFL contracts. They're very different than Major League Baseball and NBA right. contracts and that they're not guaranteed. Talk a little bit about the structure of NFL contracts, if you would. Well, yeah, it's, it's really what's important with NFL contracts. The NBA and, and in some respects Major League Baseball, at least especially when you get to the big leagues in Major League Baseball, you don't, you don't get these massive signing bonuses because your contracts are guaranteed. So really what's important with NFL contracts are it's guaranteed money. So either you're saying, I want a huge signing bonus up front, which is a form of guaranteed money, or I just want you to build guaranteed money into my contract, which we're seeing more and more often now, which someone will sign a, you know, a $40 million contract, and immediately the first thing, the first question as a reporter you want to ask the agent is, how much of that money is guaranteed? How much of this is going to be written into the contract that it will go to the player? And it'll be, say, $20 million. Now, you know, the, the, there are creative ways, and, and you kind of see new ways born every year for for agents to kind of work with getting those guarantees. And, and really there have been, you know, multi-tiered bonuses, which means, you know, hey, because of your cap situation, you don't want to work a bonus all into year one, so we'll break your bonus up into two or three years. There's, um, you know, incentives, and you have to – when you sit down and write a contract, you have to – the NFL says, well, you can't just push a bunch of money into incentives and kind of try to get around the cap that way. You have to classify these incentives as – they're called likely to be earned incentives or not likely to be earned incentives. And, you know, so if it's, if it's a lineman and you say, well, hey, the contract's worth $60 million if he plays 90% of special teams downs and he may not do that, really the contract's probably worth, worth less because there's a lot of money figured in there for a not likely to be earned incentive. 
and then, you know, with quarterbacks, a likely-to-be-earned incentive for a guy like Peyton Manning would be <clears throat> starts at least eight games next year. Then he'll earn, you know, a $2 million bonus. Well, that's a likely-to-be-earned incentive. So what the NFL says is you take all those incentives that are likely to be earned and you figure them into your salary cap. So you can't just say in the middle of the season, oh, geez, Peyton Manning's about to, you know, about to start his eighth game. We don't have the cap space for it, and we have to – we have to hurry up and cut somebody to make that room for the bonus. You know, the NFL wants you to prepare accordingly. So it's it's interesting. It's very. I think of all the professional contracts you look at, the NFL by far most creative. Charles, let's talk about some of the guys that are drafted this weekend, especially the guys at the top of the draft. Last year, Mario Williams, the number one pick, signed a six-year deal worth fifty-four million dollars. It included twenty-six and a half million dollars in bonus money, about a ten percent increase from Alex Smith's contract the year before. What can some of the top picks expect to get paid uh, when they sign their contracts? Well, the, it, it was, it's interesting because really the, the top three picks last year made so much in bonus money. I mean, you were you're talking essentially about, you know, 26, 25, and, you know, right around $24 million. Uh, or, excuse me, 25, 26, and 26, and then 24, 23 for DeBrickishaw Ferguson at number four. And everyone, when all this, all these bonuses, this guaranteed money came out, the big question was, wow, in 2007, will we see our first $30 million bonus for a, a rookie player? Which a $30 million guarantee in the NFL is so rare. Really, the only other guy who's gotten a legitimate $30 million guarantee is Peyton Manning. So you kind of see why having a high draft pick these days is sort of such a volatile thing for some teams. So we're probably looking at, look, Mario Williams, top pick in the draft, $26.5 million. Typically what you want to expect to see as an agent in terms of guaranteed money is a 5 to 7, and if you're really good, 10% jump over the previous year. But, you know, 10%, to be honest with you, is, it, it is pretty rare. You don't see that a lot. So probably I think this year, depending on if it's a quarterback that gets taken number one, um, you could see maybe in the neighborhood of 27, 27 and a half, maybe $28 million in guaranteed money. But I do think, you know, it's going to have to be Jamarcus Russell. If, if Calvin Johnson's drafted first this year, a wide receiver in the number one spot simply is not worth as much in guaranteed money as, as a quarterback would be. Charles, it seems like teams have never scrutinized players for a draft more than they have this year. Uh, we also saw a report that came out this week that several of the players uh, smoked marijuana, including Calvin Johnson. And uh, I saw Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, pretty upset about that leaked information. Talk a minute about the process. I mean, when you're a player, when you're one of the elite players and you're going through the process of the combines and your interviews, how hard are you being scrutinized these days? Oh, it's it's intense. I, I think it's unlike any other process that you'll ever see in sports. I don't. I think in the NFL first round picks, if not NFL draft picks, are more scrutinized than than any other amateur athlete ascending to a pro level. No doubt about. It. I mean, you have NFL security, you have teams have their own individual security to take care of this. Then you have coaching staff, scouts. I mean, literally every team has an army of. What, I mean, inspector gadgets who are going out there constantly, you know, doing what they can to figure out every, I mean, NFL information is, is so powerful in the NFL and every NFL team dedicates as many of their, of their resources as they can to, to getting that last nugget of information that might give you an edge over someone else. And, you know, I think the reason why you saw Roger Goodell get so upset is because, you know, these, this was a confidential Essentially what it was is there's a certain number of mandatory questions that go out to all prospects. Right. And 
one of those questions is, you know, have you ever smoked marijuana? And typically, you know, I, I think, and I think most personnel people accept that a lot of guys lie. They just say, no, I never have. And these are all circulated amongst the teams. It's it's just simple, simply a base amount of questions that you get to look at. You see the video. And, you know, that question in particular, the NFL, when, when these three guys admitted it, you know, that, that in some ways it either raises a red flag for an NFL team or it can be spun as I've heard GMs say, hey, you know what, that's a question that we expect guys to lie on. And when they don't lie, we actually kind of look and say, wow, you know what, he just admitted something he could have easily lied about. He knows it could affect his draft stock, and yet he took the risk and told the truth. The, the reason the NFL gets upset about it is because they don't want prospects sitting down and saying, geez, if I tell the truth on, you know, with some of these certain questions, it's going to get out now because it got out last year. So clearly that bothers – it hurts the NFL when, when any of that information gets exposed and then they think it might be withheld the next year. So it's – I'll tell you what, it really is an amazing process. And, and there's nothing like, you know, the, the physical poking and prodding is such a small part of this. Really, it's it's your background and your statistics and your character. That's such a huge part of it now. Charles, that's all the time we have. Terrific insight. I really appreciate you making time, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Absolutely. No problem, Brian. Call me anytime. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Chris Rye. He's the managing director of a company called Zambezi Inc. You can find Zambezi online at zambeziinc.com. Chris, thanks for taking time to join me this week. My pleasure. So tell us about the genesis of Zambezi Inc., if you would. You bet. Um, Zambezi is an advertising agency out of Venice Beach, California. Um, and, you know, we actually feel like ad agency sells a little bit short what we actually do. But, you know, we exist to create breakthrough communication and breakthrough content. And we've pulled together, you know, a pretty interesting cross-section of people from kind of all walks of life within the world of marketing and feature film production. Now, give me a little history about your background from before, because it's pretty interesting. You didn't just uh, get into this yesterday. You've been doing this stuff for a long time. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've worked for years at some of the big ad agencies like Fallon in Minneapolis, and then most recently at Wyden and Kennedy in Portland. And while I was at Wyden and Kennedy, I was serving as sort of the account lead for Nike basketball, which Nike being, you know, the cornerstone account at Wyden and Kennedy. 
and a close friend of mine and colleague was a fellow named Brian Ford, who was the lead creative, the lead copywriter on Nike Basketball. And Brian and I um, spent years making basketball campaigns for Nike, and in about the summer of 05, came across paths with Kobe Bryant. And Brian and I, and I would, I would have to say specifically Brian, really, really clicked on a personal level with Kobe. And conversations ensued, and they you know, basically became pen pals. And um, those conversations continued a- until Brian and I hatched a scheme to start an agency, and we were able to convince Kobe to come on board as our first client. Yeah, that's quite a story because, you know, Kobe Bryant, he's not a B or C level athlete. He is a marquee superstar. To get him to trust his branding with you is is quite a coup for you guys. No question, Brian. And I would say there was sort of two specific instances that probably, you know, helped build that bridge to that trust with Kobe. And the first is, you know, on our first job, the first job that Nike um, um, partnered with Kobe on was a print ad shoot in uh, it's actually Memorial Day 05, and Kobe walked onto the set and was absolutely just electric. He was he was totally into what was going on, extremely inquisitive, and really really bonded right off the bat with Brian. Like I said, and 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 the creative guys in the dressing room studio, those guys were were chopping it up, man, talking about movies and music and you know the ad we were there to make that day, and they really just clicked. And like I said, Brian and Kobe exchanged information. And, and kind of the rest is history. And I would say, you know, the second instance that really allowed us to show Kobe that we understood him as a persona as an, and as an athlete was a little commercial called Love Me, Hate Me that we created for Nike. Yeah, I remember it. While at Wyden and Kennedy, yeah, you bet. So this was a spot that Brian wrote, shot, edited, directed, produced, it was on Super 8 film, which is what like your parents' old home movies used to look like. Sure. Black and white, you know, that grainy human touch. And it was really the antithesis of kind of the slick packaging that, you've, that I think people came to expect from Kobe. It was just not the way that you were used to seeing him. You know, the, the curtain was back. And that spot, I know that Kobe still points to it as kind of the high watermark in terms of, you know, he and and a, and a piece of marketing that just extremely really resonates with him. So us have, being able to put together that love me, hate me spot really proved to Kobe that, that we got him. Hey, Chris, a few months ago I had Lynn Merritt, senior director of Nike Basketball, on the show, and he made a pretty bold statement. He said, I think LeBron James has a brighter future as an actor than he does as a basketball player. What kind of an actor is Kobe Bryant? How is he in front of the camera? <laughs> LeBron's pretty good. I got to be honest with you. And, and having worked on the LeBrons, um, yeah, he, he, LeBron's a natural, no question about it. And Brian, again, Brian Ford, our creative director here, is the is the fellow who first wrote that original LeBron's campaign. It's great so, stuff. Yeah, um, thank you. I'll pass that on to him. Anyway, Kobe is is I think a natural as well. Um, I think he's you know both in front of the camera and in the meeting room. He's a guy who is extremely intelligent really, really gets it, has an ability to cut straight through to the heart of the matter. You know, he articulates himself extremely well and, and I think listens extremely well. I think a lot of athletes, you know, rather than, you know, listening, kind of just wait for their turn to interject. And, and Kobe's a great communicator, and I think that contributes to how smooth he actually is in front of the camera. 
My guest is Chris Rye. He's the managing director of a company called Zambezi Inc. Chris, you know, you bring up Kobe as a business person. You look at the iconic athletes who have had success after their careers. Michael Jordan, uh, Lance Armstrong now, even guys like Tiger Woods. They've got that off-the-court, off-the-course business going. What is Kobe doing in that regard? Uh, you know, and it sounds like what you're saying is he's well in tune with what he has going on off the court as well. No question. Um, Kobe is a guy who, whenever he's been asked the question, what would you do if you weren't a basketball player, he's always said that he would have gone into marketing slash advertising. And, you know, we look at this as, as, as Zambezi rolls on down the line and grows, you know, we look for Kobe to become more and more involved, not only as you know a, a persona that we're taking to market, but contributing strategically and creatively to, to what we're getting done here at Zambezi. I think he imagines a transition off the court and you know into that concepting room. Yeah, it's funny you say that because some of my friends at Nike have told me that, that he really sits down you know, during the commercial shoots and he's looking at the storyboards, he's offering suggestions, he's real engaged as opposed to just taking direction. He's real a part of the process. And it's indicative of how he approaches everything in his life. I mean, you know, there are some tangible, there's some tangible evidence of that, you know, the number switch from 8 to 24, which mm-hmm. for him means... You know, each day is a gift, and with every 24 hours, he wants to be the best husband and father and businessman and athlete and, you know, face of the franchise that he can be. So, you know, that carries over absolutely into developing marketing communications. He's looking to, to be involved and to, and to make sure that it meets with his high standards for everything else he does. Chris, more and more athletes are making a conscious effort to brand themselves and promote their brand from LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. Athletes are becoming corporations in and of themselves these days. Do you see the day, or is this a trend, where more athletes are going to start to use the services of companies like yours? You know, we hope so. And, you know, Brian, it's a select few athletes that can get there, you know, get to what you're describing. But I think the way that I think about it, I guess, to, to use an analogy is, I think historically the relationship between an athlete endorser and a corporate partner was, you know, the corporation as the planet, let's say, and the athletes essentially the moons, you know, revolving around that planet. So Nike is the planet, and the moons are Maria Sharapova and Michael Vick and LeBron James and Tiger Woods. And I think the place that we'd like to get to, you know, in terms of a vision is, you know, the athlete as that planet, and the corporate, the corporate partners as the moons. So, you know, if Kobe's the planet, you know, the moons are Nike and Sony and Upper Deck and on down the line. No, I totally agree, and I think that's a great analogy. Listen, you're charged with making Kobe the most dominant signature brand in basketball. Uh, obviously, Kobe's made an amazing comeback in the last two years with his brand. What, in your opinion, are the qualities that make Kobe uh, marketable? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of everything. It's, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing certainly the encore performance is beyond reproach i think by anybody's measure the guy is an absolutely special kind of once in a generation player he's really really a genius at what he does between the lines and i think what you've seen over the last couple of years is that kobe's let his guard down a little bit and i think he you know it goes hand in hand with what i was just talking about with you know the number switch and sort of this new lease on life i think he is letting people in, you know, for the first time. And that goes, you know, for the public, his fans, you know, his teammates. 
he's really making himself more accessible because I think he understands that, you know, on some level, I think he understands that that sharing his glow and you know sharing that shine can can help him, can help his team rise, can help his business rise, can help kind of everything move forward. So I think it's it's two things. It's just the performance on the court has stayed where it needs to be, and you know the guy's completely come into his own. He's unbelievable, and I think he's really let people in, and I think that those two things together have kind of led to this comeback, so to speak. Chris, you're doing specific things to promote, enhance Kobe's brand. One of those things is a website for Kobe called KB24.com. I've got to tell you, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you right now. I think it is the best athlete website, bar none, on the internet, KB24.com. Talk about that website and what you see that leading to uh, in the future for Kobe. Absolutely. Well, you know, KB24.com, as you said, is a site that we put together um, Heading into the season, we actually launched on the first day of, of this current season. Um, our man, Eric Marantet here, who is our interactive director, has done a fantastic job you know, shepherding that project. And I think what sets KB24.com apart is we're constantly refreshing the content on there. I mean, I think if you go to some of these other athletes' websites, the most current thing is a press release from two years ago. Right. Or, you know, they just signed this deal, and it's really just outdated. And sure. I think what we want to do is give fans a play, uh, almost like a living, breathing place that they can go to, again, to get a little bit of that shine and a little bit of that glow from Kobe. So we're putting up new video content. We give fans a forum to communicate with one another from, you know, Long Beach all the way to China. And, um, you know, we're constantly refreshing it. We're, we're following the team and, and really making it a forum. Chris, you talk about China. Kobe has the top-selling NBA jersey in all of China. The 2008 Beijing Games are coming up. What are you doing to promote Kobe's brand in China, where it's very popular? Well, we've got a few things going. Um, we've partnered with CCTV, a huge television and radio um, entity in China. And we've, Kobe has hosted a couple of chats. Um, we've, we've had some content with him um, as far as sort of a pre-recorded hosting, and I'm doing that in quotes of, you know, the All-Star game and some other Laker games. Um, Kobe was in Asia last year, and I think there's some plans for him to get back over there. And, you know, absolutely, he's, he's been able to make some amazing inroads there, especially when you consider him leapfrogging, you know, their favorite son in Yao Ming. You know, it's, it's really nothing short of amazing. Uh, you know, I want to talk about his shoe deal because I know that's coming up in June. It's expiring with Nike. He's had a really good success, su- successful run, I think, with Nike over the past few years. I've heard my sources tell me that Li Ning, a Chinese shoe and apparel company, is going to make a very aggressive bid for Kobe because of his popularity in China. What do you see in the future for Kobe with his shoe deal and how that will enhance his brand? Well, you know, it's definitely interesting. I should say that Zambezi doesn't really have a seat at the table in terms of negotiating endorsement deals right now, so I can't you know, fully comment on it. But what I do know is that you know, Kobe's camp and his agent, Rob Palenka, those guys have every intention of sitting down and, and getting something done with Nike and going into that with all the good faith in the world. And, and, I, and I don't believe that they're entertaining offers or, or conversations from anybody at this time you know, beyond thinking about just getting something done with Nike. Well, and I would think one of the questions, if I'm Rob Palenka and Kobe and I'm sitting down in that meeting, one of the questions I would ask is, what are you going to do to activate my endorsement deal, so to speak? So many times you sign athletes and the endorsement deal isn't activated. In other words, what are you going to do to make me 
bigger than life. And Nike does that better than anyone with their commercials and their branding and their exposure. And uh, I would think if you're going to move somewhere else, you've got to make sure that that new company is going to increase your exposure just like Nike has. Well, I think it's probably part of Nike's sports marketing strategy to sign young athletes and and almost keep them in the bullpen, like you said, so that so that that another endorser doesn't get their hooks into them. But I can't believe that's the case with Nike. You know, he with, I'm sorry, with Kobe, he's a, he's a global icon, and as you said, with a ton of cachet in China and and in the states as well. So I think Nike has every intention of getting something done and, and taking him to market in a big, big way. Chris, we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, Zambezi Inc., you're the agency of record for the Lakers. You have other projects on your plate. Tell us what's going on with uh, Zambezi these days. You bet. I mean, you know, Brian, as I said, coming from Widening Kennedy and coming from that world of Nike and the team that we put together, we certainly have, uh, I think, a compelling pedigree in terms of creating marketing communications within the sports realm, and we've done that for Kobe's brand. We've done, you know, a, a several campaigns for the Lakers this year, and they've been a great, great client for us and a great partner in terms of getting Zambezi off the ground. We've done some national television for the NBA on TNT, and you know we're in, we're in talks with several other brands right now, both in the sports realm and kind of outside of the sports realm. Um, we're talking with uh, McDavid, which makes the um, you know, protective kind of undergear that all the elite ball players are wearing about getting some stuff done going into next season. Um, and we're talking with several other brands that are outside the world of sports as well. And I think, you know, we're able to create impactful marketing communications for anything, whether it's basketball or beer or blue jeans. Chris, 30 seconds left. I know you agency creative types do all kinds of different things to get your creative juices going. What's uh, the craziest thing you've done to get your creative juices going when you have a, a mental block? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm from Minnesota, so I don't really mind the cold water. And, and sometimes what we'll do if we're at a block is our office here in Venice is just one block from the ocean. And sometimes we'll throw on those, you know, those board shorts and go jump in the water <laughs> a little bit. Although some of my L.A. partners tell me I'm nuts for swimming in the city water, but I don't mind too much. Sometimes it helps shake the cobwebs loose. You know what I mean, Brian? Yeah, I used to live down there, and that water's not the, the cleanest. Hey, Chris, thanks for taking time. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Hey, Chris, again, thanks for making time. Best of luck, and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business. Radio will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James's highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office, saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Really cool technology breakthrough this week. Bringing you up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the Technology Lab. I love this one. The Washington Nationals and Tickets.com launched Tickets at Phone. It's a program launched this past week. It's the first major major league sports team in the United States that's using this technology. Basically what it is is it allows fans to have their tickets delivered to their phone via text message. Their text message will include a unique barcode and standard ticket information, and then the barcode is basically scanned at the front entrance. I love this, Nathan. Well, I won't deny it's a really cool technological thing for baseball, but there's something special about bringing home the ticket, especially as a kid. You bring home the ticket from your first game or a memorable game. You know, you're not going to have that anymore, which is unfortunate to me. You know, but if you're a sports team, one of the biggest problems they have is people not being able— if I can't go to the game and I want to give you my tickets— and I can't find you that day to give you my tickets, how about this now? I can email you my ticket, or I can text you my ticket. You can have it on your phone, and you can have it scanned at the front entrance. Talk about convenience. Oh, convenience factor is great, but historical factor poor. It's like tearing down a good stadium. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. Our guest, Chris Rye from Zambezi, Inc., Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, Nike Golf, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy this weekend. Lots of sports going on. NBA playoffs, NFL draft. It's a good time, and we will talk to you next weekend. Take care. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) or online at sportsbusinessradio.com.